Jack. How are you? I'm not too bad, Jolene. How are you? I'm very good. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you had wild meat? Um, a while ago. I think I had wild boar in and around Christmas time. Well, it's just, it's, it's, you know, you have to find wild meat. You have to specifically look for it and some butchers will have it. Um, but generally all the meat that we eat is, is farmed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting wild meat is, is pretty difficult. And I suppose we, we farm so much, like virtually all our meat all over the globe is farmed, right? Mm-hmm. It's this kind of becoming the same for fish. Yeah. So that's what. I'm very much learning in this is that salmon farming, you know, it's the same process really as cattle farming. Um, And I never really thought about it from that way. Salmon farms are one of few agriculture industries, but by by far the largest one Mm. that we have. Mm. And we hear all the time about the dangers of overfishing, the lack of transparency, the state of our oceans. And it's hard to be certain, but it does seem like one of the answers to this would be farming. Mm, so oysters mussels and other types of mollusks are being farmed all over ireland and indeed all over the world and there's actually some people say that those have a positive impact of kind of filtering the waters in our bays and our coastlines and also protecting the habitat by strengthening them from storms and other kind of natural movements so uh, well let's dive into that another day actually because i think that's super interesting as well yeah it is so then why are salmon farms such a hot topic like the things I've heard is they're big capitalist profit making agenda, dodgy licensing granting, hardly any regulation, destroying our coastlines, our biodiversity, our marine life. These are the things you hear. And honestly, when I came into this, I was quite terrified about what we could find. But here's what we did find. Because on the wild side, you've got the anglers, the wild fish activists. And on the other side, you've got the salmon farmers, both groups battling for the preservation of ultimately wild salmon. They all love this fish. And the goal is here, more wild salmon stocks in our rivers. So to be honest, I'd kind of call both of these groups environmentalists. Yeah, I mean, I would say that most, and if not all, salmon farmers started out as environmentalists. And you got to remember, the people who work in these salmon farms, they're trained marine biologists, scientists. Mm. Yeah. They absolutely love the ocean. And they go in here, and I think... You'll see that later on we speak to, you actually went and visited a salmon farm and you can really hear the passion in these people's voices. I was kind of shocked to realize that these salmon farms are, there is obviously many different types of them, but they are equally environmentalists as much as the wild salmon um, protectors who we also speak to as well. Yeah, so, so that kind of leads up as to who is coming up in this episode. So indeed, I did go and visit a salmon farm in Connemara called Bradon Torrenta. And also we sat down with John Murphy. He is the director of Salmon Watch Ireland. They're advocates for protecting the wild salmon and the impacts of fish farming on their survival. I would just like to say before we dig into it, though, because these were the questions I wanted answered. Like, how many salmon farms are there in Ireland? There are 38. 38. 38. There's 38, yeah. Oh, oh, we both said that at the same time. It's like, bingo! <laughs> <laughs> the salmon farm industry is actually the largest aquaculture sector in Ireland, and it's worth about 127 million in 2020. And an interesting point to note is that although that sounds quite big and it is significant in Ireland, it's completely dwarfed by Scotland and Norway, with the latter Norway actually producing 80, 90, 100 times that of Ireland. Yeah. Now, along with this, in Ireland, we actually have a licensing problem with salmon farms here. And this is due to state rules, which were implemented in 2009. And they were meant to be a short term fix to a long term licensing problem. So as a result, 
22 of the farms in Ireland have expired licenses and no environmental assessments in line with EU law, sometimes for more than a decade. That's one of the main arguing points that people come up with, isn't it? Like as we chatted to people, this was something that was brought up as as, as implying the shadiness of the situation. But what we realised in in investigating a little bit more is that actually it's a lag in kind of progression from a government's point of view. So these salmon farms are more than happy and would be very delighted to renew their licenses and keep going, but it's just not possible to do it. And also they're not unregulated. They are very heavily regulated. And actually the regulators themselves, even when you speak to the salmon farmers, the relationship between the two they're kind of all the same, coming from the same, stripped from the same cloth, so to speak. They're looking for the same stuff. So regulation was one of the things that I suppose I've always doubted coming from my point of view as imagining big things as big problems and big money sorting out, you know, hiding these things. So we were really, really lucky because there is definitely one person in Ireland who could be the ultimate knowledge on all of this, and that's Susan Steele. So Susan was the head of the Irish Fisheries Board for quite a long time. And as of last April, she was promoted to the executive director of the European Fisheries Control Agency. Now, that's massive. Yeah, and we're so grateful to Susan for offering to chat to us because, you know, there's absolutely nobody else on the planet who would be better equipped to clear up some of our doubts. For sure. So we managed to cast a line with the temptation of a side of organic salmon cooked over fire and Susan nibbled. Um, I think anybody can come and visit who brings beautiful fish and we're sitting down in the garden and you'll hear the fire going in the background with the fire pit lit and Jack is cooking the most amazing side of salmon. Yeah, I think it's going to be nice. I mean, let's let's hold the um, expletives until after we've eaten. <laughs> <laughs> so here's our chat with Susan Steele. Susan, could you introduce yourself and uh, tell us who you are? Well, I suppose I'll, I'll start when I was um, very, very young. I decided I wanted to be a marine biologist and that was it. And I've had the incredible privilege of an amazing life working all over the place um, as a marine biologist. And for the last eight years, I've served as the head of the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority. So we regulate fishing and seafood safety and seafood trade for Ireland. Before that, I had the, the joy of being head of innovation in BIM. So I ran the Seafood Development Centre and we came up with innovative ways of looking at seafood and seafood products. And, and before that, I was in training of fishermen and fish farmers all around the coast of Ireland. So I've had a, an incredible career and seen, seen an awful lot of different things and experienced lots of things. And I'm heading in two weeks time um, to the European Fisheries Control Agency to take up the role of director there, um, which I'm very excited about and moving to Galicia in the north of Spain to Vigo. Um, to, uh, to, to look after all of the European seas and to look after the fishing and the regulation of fishing in those. So it's, it's going to be a, a challenging job, but I think a, I think a rewarding one. So. Congratulations all the way from Barroso to Spain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it is an incredible promotion and um, it's super exciting. Congratulations for, for taking the challenge up. Um, so I suppose really the reason that we wanted to talk to you was about your experience um, with salmon farming. You mentioned earlier that you um, were involved in salmon farming from a young age. So when I was um, when I was three and I decided I wanted to get involved in, in the marine, 
the first thing I did was learn all the names of everything on the shore, all the different seaweeds, everything that there was. And then I really wanted to kind of learn more about it. So where we lived down in Iries, my parents had a, a small farm on the side of a hill and made cheese. Um, and just down the road from us, there was a, a land-based salmon farm called Kalincha and there was an incredible manager there, Neil Bass. Um, it's a good fishy name, you find that there's lots of fish in the fishy, fishy areas. So I was 12 and I remember accosting the poor guy and saying that I wanted to go and work for him. So he, he said, you know, well, you know, you're a bit young, but I was allowed to go down there. So at the age of 12, I started to go down to these large tanks that were full of salmon. So I was on the dairy farm in the mornings and we'd always help dad with milking cows. You'd be down in the milking parlor and <clears throat> you'd be milking cows, feeding them um, dairy nuts. And then I would head on my old bicycle down uh, to, the, to the salmon farm. And what we'd be doing when we were down in the salmon farm is very, very similar. You'd be feeding the, the salmon. We were fed a type of a pellet that looked very, very like what we were feeding on the land farm. We'd be, um, when you were up on the land farm, you'd be cleaning out um, after milking um, and cleaning out silage. When you were on the salmon farm, you just pulled a pipe in the middle of the tank and, and flushed out the salmon tanks and then cleaning the salmon cages, which I suppose was similar to cleaning the milk tanks or cleaning for the, um, for the cheese tanks as well. So to me, it was just, it seemed like a very, very similar um, way of farming, except that we were farming salmon. I absolutely loved working down there. And um, they gave me a bit of pocket money, so I used to save that up and then I'd go to Shirkin Island Marine Station and Matt Murphy was there and I'd go to Shirkin Island. He used to do one week marine ecology courses. So I was absolutely obsessed. Um, so I wasn't, I saw the salmon farming from that side of it, just a very, very simple thing. And it wasn't until I was about 18, I'd finished school and I saw a job ad, a new scientist. It was for someone with a degree to work in um, Trinity College in Dublin on salmon farming and the use of wrasse as a cleaner fish. So I sent off a handwritten CV, you know, I have worked in salmon farm since I was, you know, 12 and I got the job. So I went up to Trinity and then was involved over that summer in working on the use. What they were trying to do was to deal with sea lice and it's still being done today, the use of cleaner fish and what they could be done. So I was involved in that project at the time. So for me, it was just uh, it was similar to the, the land farming to see it at sea. And as I learned to dive, I dived on and around salmon farms. And then as I was working BIM, I was teaching people about salmon farming. So I got to see a huge amount of it and you, you'll be seeing it as well. It's 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 uh, they're fantastic to see. Um, yeah, fantastic. What an, what an amazing introduction to farming at sea. As you say, yeah. it's, it's so similar to your story on the land, really, yeah. isn't it? Um, when did salmon farming actually begin in Ireland, do you know? It, it would have been Neil Bass's farm and that Kalincha salmon farm would have been one of the very, very starts of them. The, the Ireland, like if you look at the history of agriculture around the world, China was always well ahead of anywhere that was in Europe. So China would have been one of the first places um, on the planet that farmed. 
So salmon farming here really didn't happen till the 1960s, 1970s when they started to build it up. I don't have, you know, the exact dates of the first farms. And then there was land-based farms and then moving out to the sea and looking at what the farming at sea would work and how it would go. And then we were we were behind because we're at the very kind of southern edge where you can farm salmon. Obviously, Norway, Denmark, other countries were much more advanced and moving much faster ahead in developing salmon farming. So if, if we get into farming at sea, so farming on land, when you look at it, um, and any farmers here will, will, will give me a good kick for saying this, but it, in one way it's quite simple. You farm chickens, you farm ducks, there's different species. We understand the life cycle. We know exactly how long it's going to take an egg to hatch. We know everything about it. But when you start to look at salmon and you start to look at what's happening uh, with fish in sea, we've 28,000 species of fish that are in sea each of them has completely different life cycles. So for the vast majority of them, we still don't actually know their full life cycles. We're still discovering cogger eels were only discovered properly maybe eight years ago. We're still discovering species that are quite common here, the details and the intricacies of how to farm them. So it's really, really complicated to, to farm fish at sea. So the salmon farming is one of the, the few species that we're actually able to, to, to farm very, very well. Um, so, so not easy at all to get the aquaculture there and a lot of learning in it. Yeah. And tell me about the aquaculture in relation to the Irish economy, how important is it for us here in Ireland? It's, it's creating jobs in, it's, it's the areas that it's in as much as the amount of money that it brings in. So um, we have a very, very small aquaculture in Ireland, um, around 10,000 tonnes. Each of us is organically farmed. Um, we employ, the, there's people that are employed, that are obviously employed in the aquaculture, but then you've got the people involved in the smoking, that are involved in all of the other work that goes on if you're uh, making very good value-added products out of it. Ireland has an incredible marine resource. We have some of the cleanest seas, and we have very, very rich nutrient-rich waters, and so we've got an amazing marine resource that you can have the aquaculture that's in. So we have um, we have a really good reputation. The Origin Green um, branding and um, work that's been done by Board Bia is recognised worldwide. So Irish seafood is very, very well recognised. Um, Jack, did you just hear that? Yeah, so you might have actually missed that. But what Susan just said is that all salmon farms in Ireland today are organic. So that's that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, totally. So what does organic salmon farming mean? So organic or not organic is done by signing up. It's not regulated. So whether you buy organic salmon or you buy non-organic salmon, you're, you've got a baseline standard for everything that's there that you're buying for the residues for the wastes uh, for the water quality for what's in the flesh for how it's labeled and um, for the temperatures that it's harvested at for the way that the farmed fish welfare is looked after so how you know is the fish you know is there any cruelty to the fish that has to be obviously that that's not acceptable for any of us either but organic and non-organic are done by certification bodies so they're not actually regulated a company will sign up to be organic and then that organic certifying body will come in and will do inspections and they will then check depending on what their standards are so that they have um, a series of standards um, that they will, will will make it slightly different so it will be the crowding densities that's in the cage it will be what's in the food 
Obviously, if fish are sick, if they're sick, they have to be treated, but the withdrawal period after treatment for an organic farm will be much longer um, than, than for some non-organic food. Um, where the food comes from, so all of our fish in Ireland is organically certified. Okay, great. Let's talk to our next guest. My name is John Murphy and I'm a director of Salmon Watch Ireland and our purpose in life, as the man would say, is to try and preserve Atlantic salmon here in Ireland. Now, as we all know, and from our previous episode, stocks of salmon are under threat and are declining. In a policy document which John gave us to read, it says... It is clear that greatly increased mortality combined with climate change is the single most important factor in the decline of the salmon stocks. In addition, particularly man-made threats such as salmon farming and river barriers are a major problem that must be addressed. Now, we touched on man-made barriers in the last episode, but salmon farming? Like, how could this be a threat to the wild fish? This boggles me because surely by farming, breeding fish exclusively for human consumption, it's going to prevent wild fish from ending up on my table and leave them completely unharmed and they can live a life happily ever after, right? No, absolutely wrong. So Salmon Watch Ireland's big concern is the biodiversity and the impacts that how fish farms lead to increased threat to wild salmon and sea trout from, well, first of all, sea lice. One, I suppose the biggest bugbear in regard to wild salmon and and especially sea trout is the issue of uh, sea lice. Okay, sorry to cut in here again, but I need to explain what sea lice actually are. Sea lice are a naturally occurring parasite found on marine fish. And they've been around for millions of years. They live in salt water. They're smaller than a fingernail, but they pack a punch, especially to juvenile salmon and sea trout when they go to sea. Exposure to sea lice at this stage can cause large-scale mortality events, which reduce population sizes, and they survive by feeding on the fish's skin and blood. It's kind of gross. Like salmon farms basically are a reservoir for sea lice, obviously, because, uh, you know, they're in close proximity. Uh, lots and lots of salmon. An average salmon farm in Ireland can have in the region of between five to 750,000 fish in them. So effectively, they're acting as a reservoir for sea lice and a reservoir for uh, disease. The problem with sea lice, obviously it's a huge problem for the farm itself because uh, sea lice can cause enormous damage to the farm stock. Now, they do try and treat them, obviously, biologically with the cleaner fish and chemically. Um, but the problem arises when you have five, six, seven hundred thousand fish in a bay. One of them gets sea lice. They all get it. Okay. Sure. The production is, is massive, like even our own bay here. We have two farms. It's one and a half million potential hosts for uh, sea lice. Sure. Um, you know, no matter how good you are at controlling the lice, you're going to have a problem. So John explained that the critical time for the impact of sea lice on wild stocks is during the period of when they go to sea, which is between March and April. That is the real critical time, you know. Mm. If lice are not at zero on the farms at that, at that stage, you have a serious problem. At this time, regulations dictate that farms need to have lower levels of sea lice. There are stringent controls in place to limit any potential impact of lice on salmon farms. It really hasn't worked, even though, you know, some individual farms are are okay in regard to that, but there are just too many fish. Now, 
what are the effects of lice on wild salmon stock? The salmon that are going to see that time of the year are probably in the region of six inches long. If they get infested with lice, they uh, have more mortality, obviously. And that is caused by the direct effect of the sea lice or an indirect effect where they can be predated on by birds or whatever because the fish are weak, don't swim properly and whatever. So the sea lice not only impact the wild salmon, but they also affect sea trout. Now, the sea trout, which are, you know, a very, very important species from the point of view of tourism and angling and whatever, uh, they face further problems because with the salmon, they come out into the bay and they head to sea and they are going to the Norwegian Sea. Mm -hmm. That's where they're going. Mm-hmm. So they may spend a number of hours in a place that they can get infected, a number of days maybe. But the sea trout, on the other hand, uh, are living in coastal areas and they don't go very far. They may go 10, okay. 15 miles. They may swim around the salmon farms. They may swim in areas where the larval lice have, have floated okay. into. So they get, you know, much more uh, problems with sea lice. And does sea lice happen in the natural environment yes. if we didn't have yes. salmon farms? Yes, absolutely. And but it's more the welfare of the salmon. Like, you know, you have uh, a lot of scary video <laughs> of salmon farms which have uh, severe lice infestations and severe de- disease infestations. And of course, if fish are uh, experiencing disease from something else, the sea lice will proliferate on that fish because that's just the way a host and a pest interact anyway Jack you know what now I really understand where John is coming from but like the whole thing is just kind of terrifying me and I I really want to love farm salmon like it's a bit hard isn't it yeah it sounds kind of bleak there's definitely loads of negatives and we knew we needed to go and talk to a salmon farm so we wanted to make sure that we didn't prioritize or, or, or make sure that we ended up at the best or the worst so we wanted to be quite random about it so yeah and I was lucky enough I just basically spoke to my local fishmonger and I said where can I talk to a salmon farmer how can I get on a farm and he put me in touch with the Irish Seafood Producers Group and that is how I came to Braddon Bio Torrenta and it's also where I got to see the fish it's also worth mentioning as well that when we were talking to the wild fish people from the first um, salmon episode we did last week, they were really sceptical that any salmon farm would let us through the door, that they wouldn't want to talk to us. And most of all, that they definitely wouldn't let in a camera. Absolutely no way. Hmm. But they did. How could you refuse us? <laughs> <laughs> are they happy fish? Oh, yeah. Very happy fish. Yeah. They all are. So, exactly. Yeah. They have no reason not to be happy. <laughs> This is Damien O'Keefe. He looks after Happy Fish. He's the farm production manager at Berdon Bio Torrenta, a salmon farm which, as I mentioned, is part of the Irish Seafood Producers Group. And they're based in Kilkiernan Bay in the heart of the Connemara Gwaeltacht. Like our main thing is, if your fish are stressed, you're going to get mortalities. Like I showed you our mortality rate there earlier on. We've, you know, little to none. So that's how I know they're happy. We'll show you in the health check then as well. We'll show you the condition of the fish, how our fins look. Any marks from yeah, the outside, all that, and that'll yeah. show, you know. Yeah. And as I say, that's something we do every week, so we're going to do every pen. And every pen we certainly did. Now, Kilkiernan Bay is a bay of islands and inlets in the northern sound of Galway Bay. And as we face out to sea, we have the wild, open Atlantic Ocean in front of us. Behind me, 
are the beautiful rusty colours of the Connemara landscape, rocks and little islands in the bay. And in the south, way in the distance, is the Aran Islands. So imagine we've pristine water, big tidal flows coming in from the Atlantic Ocean. And by the book, this is the perfect location for a salmon farm. And we're heading out in the boat and the lads are chatting away in Irish and there's good old crack like, so let me just give you a little insight into this. Cut a saving lad, more or brother. Like, what do you love about salmon? Uh, what's not to love? Well, it's almost it's small and full of food. To my geeky brother, or rugum as horse, small of a blast away. He's telling me he loves salmon and he's been eating it since the day he was born. Ah, yeah, I believe that one, all right. But we're joined by a couple of other people on the boat, so let me introduce them. I'm Amanda. I finished college last May. Um, I was in NUI. I did marine, marine science. Um, I came here initially as a fish health assistant. And then after six months, we, we bumped it up to fish health technician. Um, so pretty much my job is to do the routine fish health monitoring checks and stuff okay. alongside Damien. I kind of like that Amanda's with me because she becomes my sidekick for the day and explains exactly what's going on. I like the overall kind of kind of goal is to just like maintain welfare. It's not that it's straightforward, but it's like it's everyone has the same goal when it comes to welfare here. Like no one wants fish to be in any bit of a bad condition at all. So like to have that as like your main goal is it's nice. So one of the things I've learned is that organically farmed salmon are reared in large cages, which allows them to follow their natural shoaling behaviour with more room. And the salmon densities in the cages are very low. Our stocking density, yeah. So we'd be less than 10 kilos per cube of water. In mathematical terms, this is 10 kilograms of salmon per cubic metre. So would translate to 1% salmon, 99% water. And if we were to compare this to conventional salmon, stocking densities can be a lot higher up to 25 kilos per cubic meter. So the first place that Damien took me was up to the feeding station. It's kind of like going into a high-tech security control room. It's full of cameras. And here I meet Joe, who's controlling the manual feed of the fish on a daily basis. And this is done to appetite rather than tables. The way the salmon are fed is highly sophisticated. Each site has a barge, which serves as an operating center. And this is where I'm standing right now. And from here, I can see pellets, which are piped into cages through a device which rotates, I suppose, a bit like a hose spraying water into the garden. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it's like, yeah. Well, because it's working up the same principle. You can hear the thing down here now, it's picking the food, so it's selected the food, and it's just shooting it out through with air, out through these pipes. And once the air starts going through that pipe, it just starts spinning it around. What's in the feed that these guys are having? Right, but let's go out and look at some feed, so yeah, okay. we'll, we'll do it that way. So we end up looking at big silos of fish pellets, which are about the size of your baby fingernail. And Damien explains that this is all organically certified fish meal, which only contains natural ingredients from sustainable resources. So the type of mix here includes vegetables, fish meals and fish oils. You need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could, yeah. It would do you no harm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done it plenty of times. I've given up. <laughs> okay, so. Things need to get a bit serious here now because, you know, I've heard about these nightmare fish scenarios with overcrowding, fish in bad health, sea lice infestations, amoebic gill disease, which we haven't even talked about yet. And to be honest, I'm keen to see the fish. 
So part of the weekly exercise on the farm is to assess the fish health. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. Um, so right now, doing our normal Lysengale health check. So we're basically seeing the, if there's any lice on the fish, if there is, how many, and then of which life cycle stage. Then we look at the gill condition. So obviously a big thing with fish health is the, the quality of their gills. And like we're just past summertime, which is big phytoplankton blooms, which can cause really bad physical damage to them. So we score them and then we base our uh, weekly plan then off of those conditions. So obviously if they're not in the best condition, if a bloom just went through, you'd leave them alone. Because okay. like handling anything, anything you do with them directly causes extreme stress. And then like that in itself is a welfare issue okay. uh, because you don't want to stress out your fish. You want it to be as like as peaceful as you can for them yeah. from start to finish. So I have Damien and Tommy next to me. And the lads have this big net on a long pole and they reach into the cage in order to catch some fish. It's fish in a barrel, literally. And they whip some out, they're aiming for 10, and they put them into a bath on the boat that we're on. Yeah, so in this is just seawater and it also has MS-222 in it, which is trichane. So all it does is kind of mellow them out so that we can look at them without them going crazy. So Amanda puts a few capfuls of this into the bath, which makes the fish go a little dopey. And then it allows them to pick up and inspect the fish. So the, you can tell they've gone under the anaesthetic when they start turning and you'll see their belly up, but they're completely fine. They're fairly quick under and fairly quick back check. How long does the anaesthetic last for? Oh, a couple of minutes. Yeah, once they, once they go back into the, into the clear water, it, it just comes out of the system again. What does the lights look like? Can I see a light? Oh, you'll that? see you'll see yeah. them now once they're on there. So there's a light there now. Ah, oh yeah. That's um, that's a female. How do you know it's a female? You can tell by see this way. There's two. That's the skirt. Okay, and it's kind of like under the skin of the fish, isn't it? Uh, yeah. no, it's on top. Right, it's on top. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, here. And um, what do you do with the lice? Uh, we count them and then when they get to dangerous levels or I suppose we have our own personal levels within yeah. the company as well. Oh, yeah. And like, then we treat them. So like there's a regular, there's a regular, regular, regular <laughs> le level that we need to stay within. Yeah. Which is two gravids for fish up two egg laying females. Okay. But within the farm then we're trying to stay within half, half, half. of that. So we try to stay under one. The Marines would say we should be under 10 lice total per fish, so 10 mobile lice. And again, on farm, we try to stay under five. So we'll, you know, stay well within regulation. And then you're, you know, you're always keeping your lice level low up down. That is not taken off in you and you're getting too late to come in with the treatment. So when you're looking at them, you look at everything from fin condition, eyes, any kind of physical damage. So you see that kind of lesion there. That's jellyfish damage. Oh, okay. So there's it's it's now the time of the year for jellyfish. Yeah. Um, and then when you're scoring the the fin, it would be anything from a little bit of splitting to some dorsal fins that have kind of flattened almost. But these are actually quite good condition yeah. fins. Okay, so we'll start with him. So jelly damage. Jelly damage. No lice. Fins one. 
So here, when they say fins one, they're basically scoring the condition of the fish. Zero being excellent, one being very good, two is average, and three is bad. And then you go and you look for any signs of AGD, which is amoebic gill disease, which is just this amoeba that builds up on the gills. And then you score the overall condition of the gills. So gills two, AGD zero. And then the, the scoring of the gills can be is usually from uh, phytoplankton damage or physical damage from like jellyfish and things like that. So jellyfish. One female, one male, one pre-adult. Fins one. Gills one. HD zero. Good, yeah. <laughs> we taught her everything we know. <laughs> so what happens when the sea lice levels get too high on the farm? Damien explains they use a freshwater treatment. Do these cell plants, let's concentrate on this one. This is the newer one of the two. Basically what it does is it filters the water to remove the saline properties, pumping out hyper salty water on one side and retaining close to fresh water within the tank. It's a filtering system. It's a step below reverse osmosis. Now he puts it very simply to me as to why fresh water is a very important resource on a salmon farm. Okay, because if you look at, right, so if I'm in a hatchery, right, which I've worked in numerous hatcheries, one of the best things to treat fish in the hatchery, because salmon are fresh water when they're young and then they become seawater, is salt. So if you add salt to the water in a hatchery as a treatment, it's a very good natural way of cleaning up fungus, parasites, etc. So this is the opposite. So these are fish that are used to living in seawater. So the parasites that affect them, anything that affects their gills, are seawater adapted, not freshwater adapted. So you could bathe your fish in freshwater, very natural way of cleaning off all those. You know, it's killing for us. 99% of the sea lice are, are falling off the fish during this treatment. And not just because some treatments, they'll fall off and come back to life in some way. The freshwater is just killing them stone gel. Yeah. So, so yeah, so like that's our, so like we'll make, that plant will make 1,500 meters cubed of water a day. So, so, and then we do three to four treatments a week. So we'll tow that tarp down to the next cage we're treating, say for example, that cage. We'll pump the fish out of that cage into the freshwater tarp, leave them in there for four and a half hours, clean them up, monitor them all the way through, do our lice counts before and afterwards, check our gills before and afterwards, and then pump the fish back in. Right, so back to the task at hand and the fish scoring. Another big part of um, farming, Damien's probably already gone on about it, is um, cleaner fish. So, so cleaner fish, again, we do seasonal stocking of lump fish. So lumpfish are these kind of like small blue, um, they're, they're rock fish essentially, but here they're used as lice maintenance during the winter months. So they're stocked at about between five to 10%. And the main purpose is to just keep lice levels low when weather conditions aren't suitable for us to be doing our normal treatments, which is the freshwater baths. Um, yeah, they're just, they're like multi-million dollar idea for, for farming considering they're organic it's a natural thing they do to clean um 
no stress on the fish. There's no stress on the fish. No they get on the well in the in the pens. They're yeah, they're very low maintenance for us. They're very nice to look at. They're really bad swimmers, so they like heavily rely on substrates. They're pelvic fins adapted to make a big sucker, and then they actually suck onto substrates. So when they're stuck in the in the cages here where they're put in with hides so like they're these big curtains of like uh fake kind of seaweed and then it just gives them something to attach onto and then the whole idea is our salmon will swim through and it's kind of like a car wash like a, a natural organic one now do they ever get a really bad fish wait for it to oh that's a bad condition now yeah what we would say a runt. So just one that hasn't taken. It's the overall condition. bad condition. Like you can see, it's very grey, and then it's got like classic signs of, you know, exoptalmia. Could be a bacterial infection, could be physical damage, but it obviously hasn't taken to food or doesn't have good nutrition anyway because you see it's long and skinny, mm -hmm. rather than that nice kind of like rounded belly that they have once they've put on a bit of fat. Um, so what's going to happen to this? So I'm going to sample him now to see what's up. So we'll do full histology, blood work, um, and then we send it away and process it for uh, the vets for like different viral infections, bacterial infections, or any kind of like um, signs on yeah, each of the organs. We can do um, we can do PCR as well. So like checking for viral loads in the heart and in the head kidney which is kind of common places where you would have it if he has like any sort of virus or something like that he, he acts as a vector for the rest of the site and you don't want that to again it's a it's a welfare issue you don't want that to expose him to it and at this point then amanda dissects the fish in front of us taking the organs away for testing and whatnot and this is also about the time that we headed back to shore and i suppose as we're coming back in the boat i just reflected on all the things i'd experienced like animal welfare, the high standards, clearly using trusted sources for healthy food, natural methods for cleaning, no pesticides. And altogether, it pretty much sums up to me the important reasons for buying and eating an organic salmon, which I suppose at the end of the day does cost more. And that's where the value is. Okay, so I think we should go back to John at Salmon Watch Ireland. Another major problem that salmon farms have are escapes. So this can happen from big storms, seals breaking into the nets looking to steal the salmon, moorings breaking, or multiple other things. Uh, with climatic change, we get way, way more serious storms than we used to get. And that was one of the big features of uh, the Bantry Bay escape was very, very severe storm. So what happens if a farmed salmon escapes into the wild? Here in Ireland, the DNA of the wild salmon that come from each of the individual tributaries has been profiled. Now, that's an amazing achievement by our research institutes that you can actually genetically profile one salmon against another. But as John also explains, it's much more than this, as ultimately this damages the progeny or the lineage of the wild fish that return. The biggest problem would be the smaller rivers. and Some of the rivers here would have spawning stocks of maybe three to five hundred fish and you get a farm escape and next thing 200 of them appear on the spawning beds yeah, you know you are going to have uh, you know a collapse but 
it's very interesting to to see what what happens then. Uh, it can uh, bring a thing called an extinction vortex into those rivers because uh, in the Marine Institute um, research facility they have looked at and they have basically found out that the more ranched fish or the more farmed fish per se you let up into a system the less juvenile smolts you get back so their progeny don't survive well in fresh water so that's the real problem but how can you tell a farmed salmon from a wild salmon on the edge of the riverbank without your lab profiling at hand a farm salmon is a different animal altogether because when you catch him in a river any angler will know that he is a farm salmon because they're their fins are basically frayed and they may be slightly deformed and whatever. So, you know, uh, it is picked up quite readily when there are escapes. But of course there can be escapes and they just don't turn up in the rivers for ages. And, you know, it's only through um, NGO organisations like ours, we have we have a system now where we can go into any river now and we have underwater cameras and uh, we can view it on our phone, and we would be able to see whether there were farm salmon on the spawning beds. But uh, that doesn't happen widely. So basically you don't really know whether there are what level of uh, escapees are in Irish rivers. Okay, this absolutely blew my mind. Groups like Salmon Watch Ireland are literally watching the salmon live and policing the beds to monitor the health of the wild salmon, but also identifying escapees that enter the stocks. It's an amazing commitment. So Jolene asked John a straight up question. So in your opinion, is there any good organic salmon farming? I would say no. (laughs) And that's been, it's not been, you know, controversial about it. Look, there probably it's my honest feeling that um, you know, I mean, if they didn't affect wild salmon and sea trout, there probably would be no um, pushback against them. It seems to be the angling community and people interested in wild salmonids that you know seem to be pushing the agenda now anyway, which is great. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it is disappointing to note that the general public really hasn't sort of said well should we really be doing these things like if they're doing all this harm so it's pretty clear that there are a few big camps in this fight and we wonder is there a solution where wild fish and farmed fish can exist in harmony um ah, look there are we basically organized another conference there in 2019 the last face-to-face one obviously uh, and we brought experts from norway because we wanted to get uh, these people are working for the industry and the Norwegian government and they are formulating and researching um, closed containment systems. And uh, we got a very, very, very comprehensive uh, outline of what's going on. And uh, what's happening in Norway, even though they're producing 1.3 million tonnes of salmon, they want to quadruple that industry. And the only way they can do that is by incorporating uh, closed containment in their systems. And just to explain close containment to you, it's basically a farm on land, okay, and it's a recirculation uh, system which basically uses the same water all the time. It's just recirculated, cleaned and whatever. It's a modern, really, factory concept. Okay, so th- this 
is the answer that we need, no? And bear in mind, by the way, maybe it's obvious, but on land means no cross-contamination with the effluent, as in the waste that comes off these tanks at sea, which is also a big issue. No issues with lice transferring into the wild stocks. You'd think that that's the answer, right? Well, from our point of view, it would be the ideal solution. It would be 100% foolproof because you would not have any sea lice issues. You would have a regulatory regime which would require treatment of any water and various things like that. Um, there's another aspect then, they have another thing called semi ghost containment, which is at sea. And, uh, you know, could help as well. But uh, what they're doing there is they are trialing various uh, designs now where you have salmon in these massive enclosed, uh, they're nearly like a round ship, if you want to call it that. And they draw the water by pump from maybe 30 metres down. Mm. And it's flushed out the far side. Uh, they're incorporating uh, UV treatment and various stuff for the waste that's going out. Their collection of waste and inside and mm. everything like that. It's a very very good concept, except they have they don't have any problems with sea lice because the sea lice larvae are always in the top layer of the water, mm. so that's why they pump from deep. Gotcha. But um, they're still having issues with maybe gill disease and various other pathogens are still getting into the fish, but they're working on that as well. So what we've learned is that this is what's happening in Norway. And actually, after the mic turned off and we were chatting to John, we found out that in Denmark, they've decided to focus future salmon farms on these RAS. It's the technical term for these close containment systems. They will not be issuing any new licenses for farms at sea. Now, as you can imagine, this technology has its downsides. You know, there's a big capital cost in creating this system and a yet undetermined emissions footprint of a facility like this. But while we're looking at this, it would be interesting to know what Damien the salmon farmer's opinion is on these semi-closed containment systems and if there's a place for RAS in Ireland. I think it's something that could be adopted here. You know, what I'd like to see it as is your most susceptible time is when your fish go out first. Our smoles are 100 grams. So if we put them out into a semi-closed at 100 grams, grew them on a bit to maybe 500 grams and then let them out into the open sea, you know, yeah. maybe they'd do a bit better. Yeah. The MI, the Marine Institute are working on that at the moment and are running some trials it's, over in Lennox. There's none in Ireland, is there? Uh, there's none in Ireland, no. What about these um, complete land-based contained um, farms? That's what you're talking about. Yeah, so research farms, so that's a RAS system, right? Okay, and brilliant technology-wise, absolutely amazing what they can do. Brilliant. I think a great way to grow smolts to get fish all the way through to market, okay? Yeah. You're looking at a very different ethos in terms of farming to what to what we do, right? Okay. Because okay, number one, currently you can do fish in organic up to small organic fish up to smoltification in a closed system. Right. But you can't take them to you can't take them to someone's table okay. as organic, right? Your main issues are going to be your stocking density because this is going to be quite an expensive system to run with lots of pumps, lots of oxygens, lots of water treatments. You're going to have to up your densities to way above what we would like to see. You know, maybe you'd be at 40, 50 kilos a cube. So you'd be five, six times over what, what we're currently farming at sea. 
And then to me, that's a very different product. Yeah. You know, it's not, I don't want to walk into a shed to see a bunch of salmon stacked on top of each other, swimming in a raceway. Yeah, you're a purist, so Well, I, I'd prefer it done this way and done right. You know, okay. yes, I'd love to see maybe small fish grown in a system like that. You know, up to a certain point where you can keep your stocking densities low, get your fish out right, and get your fish out in good condition. Yeah. Maybe there's a place for it there. And there's definitely a place for it. In other countries, the Danes are producing loads of trout out of systems like this, and they're all filleted straight to plate in Germany. But they're not, the, you know, it's not a natural Irish organic salmon that's, you know, this size that you're handing out to someone that you're, you know, not saying that those lads aren't proud of what they're doing, because it's a good product, yeah. but it's a very different product. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not... Yeah, it's absolutely. Not, yeah, it's it, not, it, it's it not this. Yeah. yeah, exactly, you know, I, you know, so... I couldn't say I'd be for or against it, but in terms of would I like to manage one of them, I'd be saying no, yeah. you know. So that's where we're at. There are solutions and they may not be everyone's cup of tea. And, you know, I've definitely learned that salmon farming is pretty complex. But on the other hand, the world would be a very, very sad place if we just didn't have the salmon, the king of fish, to enjoy in our seas and rivers. And I guess whether you choose to eat salmon or not, I think being more conscious of where our food is coming from and how it's produced and how it impacts our environment, it just all adds up to a better living, doesn't it? Yeah, I have to say it's really hard to have a firm opinion on all of this, mm. but I was really encouraged by the people that we met throughout the whole process. So mm. I can see there are great people working on all sides of this. Mm. And if I had to say one thing, it would be do your research. Yeah. Of course, there are good farms and bad farms, the same as there is on land. So mm. speak to your fishmonger or your salmon smoker. Ask about where the salmon's coming from. All right. So look, let's just leave the sit um, with us all for a while. It's been a really interesting journey. We've packed a lot of heavy information into this episode. I hope that people have got something from it. And I just want to give a huge thanks to all the people who helped us put this episode together. So Susan Steele, European Fisheries Control Agency, all the crew at Bradon Bio Toronto, the Irish Seafood Producers Group, John Murphy at Salmon Watch Ireland, Frank Hederman for that lovely organic Irish farm salmon that we brought to Susan's place. And, you know, Emily Delury for all that great company in the car to Connemara with me because she's a great old singer. So you've been listening to the Neighbour Food Podcast and we hope you listen out for future episodes where we dive into the story of Irish food. <laughs>